Welcome to the Dharma Spring. All things born of causes end when causes run out. But causes, what are they born of? That very first cause, where did it come from? At this point, words fail me. Workings of my mind go dead. I took these words to the old woman in the house to the east. The old woman in the house to the east was not pleased. I questioned the old man in the house to the west. The old man in the house to the west puckered his brow and walked away. I tried writing the question on a biscuit, fed it to the dogs, but even the dogs refused to bite. Concluding that these must be unlucky words, a mere jumble of a query, I rolled life and death into a pill, kneading them together, and gave it to the skull in the meadowside. Suddenly the skull came leaping up and began to sing and dance for me, a long song, a ballad of the three ages, a wonderful dance, postures of the three worlds, three worlds, three ages, three times danced over. The moon sets on Chang'an and its midnight bells. For some that were here yesterday, we looked at a different translation of this poem, which was actually the first time I encountered it was that other translation some years ago. And the translation here, that last line is in quotes, indicating something's being quoted, but in the other translation, it's not quoted. It just is like a standard statement Perhaps coming from Ryokan, it says, I saw the moon set at midnight on, or I saw the moon set on Chang'an and its midnight bells. So, that's interesting in and of itself, being that Ryokan wrote the poem and he's in Japan. And Chang'an is the ancient capital of China, yet he saw the moon setting on it and its midnight bells. Since this other version had it in quotes, I was able to find what was being quoted. A poem from a Tang Dynasty poet named Li Dong. It's called For the Monk Zhuang Zan on His Return to the Western Regions. A hundred thousand mile journey. How many dangers? Desert dragons, 
when you wag your tongue, will hear and be humbled. The day you reach India's five lands, your hair will be white. The moon sets on Chang'an and its midnight bells. A hundred thousand mile journey. How many dangers? Desert dragons, when you wag your tongue, will hear and be humbled. The day you reach India's five lands, your hair will be white. The moon sets on Chang'an and its midnight bells. Finding this poem and hearing it being for this monk, Zhuang Zhang, had me wondering, well, who is this monk, Zhuang Zhang? Well, he was born in China and raised in an educated family, um, very erudite, educated in the classics by his father, the Confucian classics, and was a bright, precocious, um, and a serious child, and took things deeply into his life, sincerely. And upholding them in a way that was very pleasing to his father and his family, that he was carrying things on in this way, what they had carried on for generations. When he was eight years old, his father died. So his older brother, Chinsu, became his guardian, and his brother was a monk. So Zhuangzang went to live with him in his monastery. And he studied the sacred texts and absorbed what he could in that realm, and eventually requested to become a monk himself. He was a bit young, but the abbot made an exception, just seeing how he engaged with, with, that, with that seriousness and sincerity. So he was there for many years with his brother until when he was 16, civil war broke out. So the two of them went and sought refuge in the mountains of Sichuan. <clears throat> and they spent around three years at the monastery called Kongwei, where, again, he plunged into studying Buddhist texts as many as he could and taking up the practices and engaging as fully as he could even you know, remotely from where he had been, again, moved from his home. 
but he wasn't satisfied and actually with all these different teachings that sometimes contradicted themselves and had discrepancies amongst themselves and bringing these to his Chinese teachers who could not settle it for him he decided he was going to go to India go directly to the source of the tradition hoping that that would be something to help settle his dissatisfaction and let him find something that would settle those contradictions and discrepancies. So he wrote up a proposal for his visit to India and it was forbidden by the Emperor because of endangering national security. So instead of just not going, and because he had a dream with a vision, he decided to set out secretly on his own, without permission, and go anyway. The drive so strong, yes. So he traveled by night and hid during the day so as not to be caught, met many dangers along the way. He had companions at the beginning who abandoned him along the way, things becoming too dangerous, too risky. Made his way through the Gobi Desert and arrived in the city of Yilangzhou at the westernmost frontier along the Silk Road. He stayed there for about a month at the request of local leaders teaching Buddhism, the message of Buddhism. Then he was invited to the court of King Chu Wendai, <laughs> who had heard about his teachings and the benefits people were receiving from them. So he went to that court and was treated very hospitably and respectfully and was able to teach others, help others. But then it occurred to him, this king intended to keep him there probably the rest of his life doing this. And his journey would therefore end if he didn't do something. So he went on a hunger strike until the king said, okay. I'll let you go. <laughs> he still remained for a month longer to offer more teachings and help to finish up what he had started. And then he set out again. This time he had letters of introduction from the king to help him along his way as he passed through other lands. including to a formidable Turkish Khan to make that part of the journey easier. And word of all this spread as it does and reached the Emperor who changed things around and supported this journey. 
So he was no longer a, an unknown fugitive fleeing in secret, but a bona fide pilgrim with official standing now, heading to India. Six years of journeying, and he finally ended up in India. He ended up at Nalanda University. Well, Nalanda Monastery, <laughs> which is like a, a, a university and a great center of education of Buddhism at that time, like a city, a monastic city with so many temples and riches of texts and sutras and teachings to dive into, which he did. Not only Buddhist teachings and things of the varying Buddhist, Buddhist flavors, but also things from the, Brahm, the Brahman philosophy. He studied Sanskrit, learned to read it, Began, became exposed to many different practices. And his nature of taking things seriously and sincerely shone forth. He was able to understand these things deeply and take them in deeply and then explain them to others and help others understand. As he was doing this, word spread in India of this Chinese monk who had come and was seeming to master so many teachings and there was a king in India and a patron of Buddhism who wanted to support this, but also verify this, so set up a debate to happen between Zhuangzong and uh, around 500 different Brahmins, Jains, and other Buddhists of India. And legend said that the debate was held and he won every single one of them. He was able to defeat everybody with his knowledge and um, wisdom. And that was kind of a marker of something having been achieved for him personally. So after this success, he decided he'd head back to China, taking with him as many texts as he could, certainly with help, with a contingent to help bring them along. So he sent a request to the emperor of that time, which was approved and made his way back to the capital of Chang'an where he began. And he arrived there on the first month of the new year, 645, 15 years after he had initially left. set up a school, so to speak, of translators, people who could also read Sanskrit, 
or that he taught to read Sanskrit, who could help translate all of the books that he bought, but all the texts and the sutras. And for the rest of his life, devoted himself to those translations. In the end, a little over 650 different texts were translated. He also, in that journey of translation, took the Tao Te Ching, translated it to Sanskrit, and sent it back to India. A good exchange. Having made that long journey to India and back, 15 years worth, and all that accomplishment and study, and wisdom gained and knowledge and ability to not only understand, but to help others understand and to transmit the teachings. I wonder, was he satisfied? Did that desire in him to get things settled that sparked this journey, was it quelled? Did he get what he was looking for? How many times during those 15 years did the moon set on Chang'an and its midnight bells? In all those years of translating the works, the moon setting on Chang'an and its midnight bells, still, continuously. Even now, though the name has changed, I imagine the bells still ring and the moon still sets on Chang'an. So what about that? This journey of Zhuangzong's inspired many tales throughout China. Legends grew from his adventures. And eventually, I believe it's in the 17th century, a novel, Journey to the West, was written about this journey. Adding more adventures involving monkey kings, <coughs> monkey kings and 
meeting the Buddha himself, all sorts of things happening. And that's, that book is said to be the single most popular book of its sort in China to this day. So Zhuangzong's journey continues onward like that too. Weaving its way along still. Just as still the moon sets on Chang'an and its midnight bells. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.